Okay, just a few weeks. It's going to be April 1st, which I think is when um, Andrew and Jenna, what? Started dating. Started dating on April Fool's Day. Yeah, wasn't a very foolish decision, was it? Huh? Good, good job making a good decision on April Fool's Day. But I think about April Fool's Day and how, what does fool even mean, right? It actually means someone who is unwise or imprudent. It doesn't actually mean, let's play a joke on everybody, but somehow that's what we've made April Fool's Day to be. But I don't think any of us enjoy looking like fools. Maybe it's fun to play a joke on someone every now and then, but we don't enjoy looking like fools. We want to appear wise to the people around us. And so our main verse that we're going to look at tonight talks about that, how to not be foolish, but how to be wise and be in the will of God. It says in Ephesians 5, 17 through 18, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So our third point of what it means in, for God's will in your life is God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. If we don't grasp what that really means, then we are going to live foolish, disempowered lives. And I don't know about you, but I do not want my life to be disempowered or foolish. This verse is comparing two opposites, being drunk and being filled with the Spirit. So first, what's similar about these two realities? Well, you can't stay drunk unless you keep on drinking. And you can't be empowered by the Spirit unless you keep on asking Him to give you His power. I often think about being filled with the Spirit, like having a yummy glass of chocolate milk. Now, maybe it's because I have kids, but this analogy helps me every day. You start with a large glass of milk, and you pour in that thick, yummy Hershey's syrup. Now, has anyone just drank it out of the bottle like yes. me before? I mean, that is so good. That is so not good for your tummy, but that is so good. Okay, so yes, I love Hershey's chocolate syrup. Okay, so that moment when that Hershey's syrup touches that milk is just like the moment that you decide to put your faith in Jesus. And what happens is the Holy Spirit immediately, not progressively, or eventually, or when you learn how to pray a prayer, the Holy Spirit immediately comes into your life, okay? Just like when that chocolate touches that milk. He will never leave you once he is inside of you, okay? We don't need to be saying, Holy Spirit, come back inside of me. Holy Spirit, I need you inside of me. Okay, he's already inside of you if you have put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But just like that chocolate syrup, it needs to be stirred up in order for it to taste like really yummy chocolate milk. We need to surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow him to control our lives. When we invite him into those sin areas that we talked about last night, he is going to empower us to give us self-control and obedience. When we invite him into our relationships he will give us wisdom of what to say and do. And all of a sudden, our lives are going to start to look more and more like Christ in his character and in his actions. 
What happens, though, to that milk if I leave it on the table from breakfast until dinner? Have you ever noticed that the, milk, the chocolate starts to settle on the bottom? And the milk does not start to taste as chocolatey as it did for breakfast. You don't have any less chocolate in that milk, but it needs to be what? Stirred up again. And this shows us what happens in our own lives when we aren't intentional or focused on inviting the Holy Spirit to empower us or guide us. Not come into us again, he's already in us, but to empower us and to guide us. What happens is our lives start to drift away from being like Jesus, even if we still believe in him. So what's opposite about the two realities that we read in this verse of getting drunk and being filled with the Spirit? Well, when you're drunk, you're usually not wise, right? You're not alert. You're not aware of what's really going on you around you, you're self-focused, you do foolish things, um, there are consequences for your actions. But when you're filled with the Spirit, all of that's the opposite. You become wise, alert. You're aware of what God is doing around you. When you start to be others-focused instead of self-focused, you do what is wise and there's great rewards in walking in the Spirit. And when we think this way, I start to wonder, why would we want to live life any other way than by being empowered by the Spirit every single day? Now, think about a time when you weren't filled with the Spirit in your life. What happened? You probably gave in to your flesh. You weren't patient or loving or kind. You were joyless and ungrateful. You were worried instead of having peace. You lost your temper instead of engaging with patience and self-control. I know those moments when I feel the most defeated is when I'm not walking in the Spirit. For me, it seems like I start every day asking the Holy Spirit to empower me with his strength. But I wonder, where did his power go by 8 p.m. at night when it's time to put the kids to bed and they are procrastinating? I seem to lose all patience, all kindness, all gentleness, and all self-control. I've learned that it's actually now important for me to invite the Holy Spirit to empower me before I start the bedtime routine with my kids so that I can end my day being a spirit-filled mama instead of a spitfire mama, which they don't really prefer, right? I know that I am in most need of his strength at that moment when I'm tired and weak, and I need to be proactive in inviting him into those moments. Now, think about a time when you were empowered by the Holy Spirit. You invited him into the conversation that you were planning to have with someone, or you asked him to empower you so you would say no to the flesh. How did you feel then? I know that I have been most encouraged, I've been most faith-filled, and I've been most victorious when I am empowered by the Spirit. Both of my children came to Christ at bedtime. Both times, I had to be very aware of the Spirit speaking in me. Briella came to faith in just this past September at three years old. I think they're going to show a picture of her. Let me see. Is there a picture of my sweetie pie? There she is. Okay, well, you know, with Anna and Elsa, they were her witnesses the night she prayed to receive Jesus. But during the day, I actually had to practice a talk. Like, I practice these to, like, nobody before I give them to somebody. And she wanted to be my audience of one. So I was practicing a talk that I was going to give. And um, 
in the middle of practicing my talk in front of my three-year-old, I felt like the Holy Spirit was nudging me to explain to her a verse that was in my talk. And it was um, 1 John 4.4 4 that says, He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world, which is the Holy Spirit, or God, inside of us. And so Briella and I, at three years old, we started to talk about how Jesus can be inside people when they invite him into, when they invite him into their life. And then we can have power over Satan um, and bad guys, because she's really worried about bad guys at this age, and sin, because we are submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Now, it seems like this really big theological concept to explain to a three-year-old, but even at three, you know what she could say back to me? She goes, Mommy, I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I can have a relationship with God. She can understand that at age three. Um, but she had not yet made a decision to invite Jesus into her life. And that night, I really felt called to revisit that verse with her right before we prayed to go to bed. And it was at that moment she says, Mommy, I want Jesus in my life right now. And I just thought, what? If that was one of those nights, I was no longer filled and empowered with the Spirit, but was more like, get to bed. I'm tired and I need you to go to sleep. Here's when I interviewed her right after she made this decision. All right, then she got a little distracted, but hey, I just had to like record it because I was like, I don't know, do you really know what you just decided? You know, I was actually also three when I decided to put my faith in Jesus, and I remember when my mom left after praying with me by my bed, I sang Jesus Loves Me um, to myself after my parents left the room, so I do believe it's possible to come to faith as a little child. But my son, who's older, was quite hesitant. He's like, no, maybe when I'm five, no, maybe when I'm seven, but he would pray these amazing faith-filled prayers. Like, he's like, Mommy, don't forget to pray because God's going to heal you. Or, Mommy, you, okay, every night, do you know what my son prays for right now? He's five. He prays for the country of Israel every night. Mommy, they don't know Jesus, right? They need to know Jesus, so let's pray for Israel. And my husband even was like, okay, Carter, let's try to pray for someone else. I go, Matt, he's praying for the world. Let's, like, <laughs> let's keep doing this thing, you know? Um, but before, before he prayed to receive Christ, we would do what's called five minutes with each of our kids, and I would have five minutes with Carter while Matt has five minutes with Briella, and then we would swap, and we could do whatever we want with our kids during that time. Normally for me and Carter, it's cuddle time, look at mommy's pictures on her watch, something not so exciting. But this time, as I was sitting in his bed looking at the fake stars on his ceiling, he was very intrigued with the ceiling, and he said, Mommy, do you hear that voice? I'm like, I don't hear anything, Carter. And he goes, Mommy, I heard something. I go, well, what did you hear? He goes, I heard a voice that said, Carter, you're going to be a mighty man of God. He, he was like a few weeks short of being five years old. What? 
you're, you're going to be a mighty man of God. He goes, Mommy, Mommy, I'm hearing another voice now. The other voice is saying, I'm not going to be a mighty man of God. And he goes, is that Satan? And I was like, oh. And he goes, okay, Mommy, I'm hearing something else that I am not supposed to listen to Satan. Okay, so at this point, I figured I better go get Matt because I don't want him to not believe me that this is happening, right? I need a witness. I mean, Briella had at least Anna and Elsa. I need somebody with me and Carter. So I go get Matt, and we ask Carter again, okay, what are you hearing? And he goes, this is what I'm hearing, Mommy. I'm going to be a mighty man when I grow up. I'm not supposed to listen to Satan, and I'm supposed to obey God's laws. Okay. I have shared the gospel with them, but not like, here are God's laws. I normally talk about how we're all bad and we all need to be forgiven. And so I was like, God's laws, that is not the type of way I communicate the gospel to my five-year-old. So I'm like, I really think this is God speaking to my son. He's not yet a follower of Jesus. And the next day, I'm like studying um, the boy Samuel in the Bible, um, who was about, they think, 12 years old when he heard God. And it said God was calling him, and he didn't know that it was God calling him. And um, so he kept going to Eli, right, the priest. And he goes, no, no, I think it's God talking to you. And it even says that Samuel did not know God's voice yet. And so I just started praying harder and harder for my son. And it was just... A few weeks after that, I decided I have to pray every single night that with anticipation for that 8 p.m. time because God is doing something before I put my kids to bed. And I got really excited about bedtimes. And it was a few weeks later on, in January um, that Carter invited Jesus into his life as well. And I just think, like, what if? What, yeah, that was his night. He was wearing a Batman outfit, but you can't really see it. But um, what, what if? Um, we are missing out on some incredible life-changing moments in people's lives around us because we could be just living in the flesh because we're tired or hangry, right? You're hungry and angry at the same time. I mean, like, like I'm not just saying, like, last night, like, oh, all these sexual sins, oh, all these idols. I'm, like, saying living in the spirit moment by moment, we miss out if we're not doing that. Um, so I wonder, what opportunities have I even missed out on by not being empowered by the Spirit? Why, I ask you again, would we want to live life any other way? Why do we so quickly forget what life could look like if we are continually filled with the Spirit? So I often tell people, if there was one thing in life that has changed me forever and has impacted the most people around me, it was me learning how to walk in the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the past two nights, we talked about God's will for us to be sent ones, what he is calling us to do, and God's will for us to be sanctified, who we are to become. But tonight, we are tying it all together in what I would say is a miraculous, God-glorifying, majestic bow. When we are filled with the Spirit, we are offered the guidance and the courage to be effective sent ones, and we are offered the power to continually grow in our sanctification. So let's pick up where we left off last night and be t begin talking about how the Holy Spirit empowers us to grow in our sanctification. First of all, God's will for us is to be spirit-filled, not sin-filled. If you remember that, that's going to really help you. God's will for us is to be spirit-filled, not sin-filled. They are the exact opposite of each other. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5. And listen how many times he talks about the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh 
are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. We heard some of these last night. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, listen to this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, isn't it so great when God gives us a big but? I don't mean that literally. Okay, but <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, we see here that Paul mentions a few things. Walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. So let's dig a little deeper. What do those things actually mean instead of just reading over them really fast? When you walk by someone, you are side by side. You are aware of their presence. You can hear their voice. You are in step with them. You are going the same pace. You are on the journey together. That is what walking by the Spirit should look like. You should be aware of his presence. You should be able to hear his voice directing you. You should see yourself on a journey always with him. Being led is a bit different than just being side by side by someone. It's someone that's actually going before you. Usually that person has more knowledge or insight or direction. To be led, we must be willing to trust and follow. We lose some independence. We have to learn to submit. Being led by the Spirit means we aren't just living by rules to follow, but God is actually engaging with us and taking us on the direction he wants for our lives. You know, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he actually says, is the part of the Trinity that we have fellowship with. We fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Have you heard people ever say this, um, this is what I live by? And then they might list a value, a mantra, or a mission statement. Well, when we live by the Spirit, that means we are no longer living by our flesh. We've learned how to make the Spirit a daily part of our lives and interactions. We've crucified our fleshly passions and desires. They're dead to us. Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful place to be? Do you believe that that's possible? I believe that's possible. I've experienced it in my own life. Listen to this comforting verse when it comes to our process of sanctification in Hebrews 13. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that God is, God's will for us isn't just for us to change on our own. He wants us to rest 
and depend on him to trust in his power through the Holy Spirit to equip us with what we need to do his will and to become more like him he doesn't want you to live in guilt and shame I pray that last night's conversation did not have anyone leave here in guilt and shame because God wants you to live in peace and grace and forgiveness he wants you to grasp that God's power that was strong enough to raise Jesus from the dead is made available to you through the Holy Spirit for you to be equipped in anything he asks you to do in anything you are wrestling with that isn't pleasing to him practically when it comes to overcoming our flesh and pursuing holiness like we talked about we just need to invite the Holy Spirit to give us the power to say no to temptation and to give us the strength to choose what's right it's that easy Holy Spirit help me to resist temptation and to do what is right so daily my daily struggle is to be tempted with food I think about food as soon as I wake up in the morning and that's idolatry that's a problem even though it might seem silly so I intentionally need to fight my flesh every morning or I will become gluttonous I get up at 5.30, like I told you yesterday, to journal and pray. And the first thing I ask is for the Holy Spirit to empower me that day over my flesh in that area. And you know what? Every day I ask him, I eat properly. And the days I don't, I give in to my flesh. It's just that clear. When I ask him to help me overcome an area of temptation, he does. All we need to do is ask him. Now, I want you to remember something very important about temptation. Temptation itself is not a sin. I think too often we are tempted and we already feel guilty and defeated, and so we give in. But the Bible says that even Jesus, who was perfect, was tempted, but without sin. The Bible says that we will, give in, we will be giving every way to flee from that temptation. So here's how I'd like you to look at temptation differently. When you are tempted, tempted, because we will be until the day we are in heaven, I want you to see it as an opportunity for your character growth and to make a right decision instead of a stumbling block and a slippery slope to failure. Think of it as a stepping stone to your character. I think Jesus and his, I think about Jesus and his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was arrested and persecuted and essentially murdered, he was off praying. And his disciples were nearby. And do you remember what they were doing instead of praying? Sleeping. Yeah, how many of you are sleeping right now? Let me see. No, okay. Just joking. I can't see you. You're lucky. The lights are way too bright. But um, they were sleeping. Okay, and he said to them twice, he goes, pray lest you be, does anyone know? Tempted. He said to them twice, wake up. It's not a time to sleep, it's time to pray. And what you're supposed to pray is not that I'm not going to die. Pray that you won't be tempted. But you see, they didn't grasp the importance of Jesus' request in that moment. They weren't feeling tempted in that moment they didn't know what was going to happen one hour later so they slept in and they kept sleeping and they didn't listen and they didn't obey and why because they didn't see the need to pray as urgent 
I need you to hear that. They didn't see the need to pray as urgent. But then the soldiers came, and they weren't spiritually prepared, and they were tempted to abandon Jesus and run away. And that's exactly what they did. They were not equipped for the moment, and they failed Jesus. Jesus didn't ask them to pray in the moment of temptation. Jesus asked them to pray before they were tempted. And that is the same with us. We must pray before we are tempted about the things we know that trigger us to want to give in to our flesh. Then we will be prepared to see the way out when temptation confronts us in our face. We will not be taken off guard. Let's be proactive. Let us learn the lesson that the disciples didn't learn and be intentional to pray against the temptation in our lives. We are all tempted by something. We are all susceptible to fall and to fail. Do, do you ever think that Jesus was asking his disciples to pray the exact same thing that he was needing to pray while he was in that garden? Don't you think he was tempted to not go through the agony of the cross? I mean, he even pleaded for God, it says, to take the cup of suffering away from him. He seemed afraid to walk into the unknown of death. He knew, Jesus knew, that he needed to focus, have a focused time of prayer, so that he himself, as God, could resist temptation. Now, if Jesus needed to be intentional and set aside time for focused prayer so that he would submit to the Lord's will, how much more should we? I do not see how we will walk in the will of God unless we are men and women of prayer. Let us pray toward God's will, our sanctification. Listen to this promise found in 1 John 5. It says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, anything according to his will, which is to be effective set ones and to be spirit-filled and to be, what, sanctified, right? He will do the request that we have asked of him. He hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask of him. It's not a prayer to get an A on a test. It's not a prayer that that guy will ask you on a date. It's, that's not what this verse is talking about. It's talking about he will answer our prayers when they're according to his will. And we now know what his will is. God will answer our request to be spirit-filled. God will answer our request to be sanctified. God will answer our request to resist temptation. It is his will to do so. What part of your flesh are you battling with on a daily basis? Are you willing to be intentional enough to fight this battle in prayer every day alongside of the Holy Spirit? He will equip you if you do that. You just need to invite him to do so. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't just help us with our temptations and sanctification. He helps us to be effective sent ones, like we talked about on the first night. Just as we need to pray like Jesus prayed to resist temptation for God's will of our sanctification to be done in our lives. So we're to pray for his kingdom to come. Now, many of you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. 
You might have even memorized it, but have you meditated on it? Have you thought about what it really means? Have you thought about what Jesus is asking us to pray for? I want us to actually read it out loud together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Part of what Jesus is teaching us to pray in this very familiar passage is for his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, this means that God's position, power, and presence should be evident here on earth. His position as creator, as Lord, as king, as judge. His power to overcome sin even now, Satan even now, and death for all eternity. His presence in every single situation that people walk through. How else can we pray for his kingdom in heaven to be made a reality here on earth? Here's some examples. People need to know that they can be fully known, all of their good and all of their bad, and still be fully loved. They need to know that God doesn't just love them, but he actually likes them. He likes all their quirks, their personalities, and everything unique about them. His kingdom come means that people would understand that God actually wants a personal relationship with them. He wants to bring hope and healing and restoration to places that are long devastated in their lives. He wants them to experience complete forgiveness on this side of heaven. He wants them to experience freedom from all sin. He wants them to have a purpose that is eternally fulfilling. He wants them to experience deep, vulnerable community. That is what God's kingdom on earth would look like. That is the reality of his kingdom. But the world doesn't see that it's here. His kingdom is here, and it is available, but it's invisible to the hurting people around us. And that's why we need to be sent out for them to get a taste of this kingdom and what God really wants for their life. Will you resolve to be a sent one, to have his kingdom be evident here on earth? Not only to be established now, but so that people could be in his kingdom for all eternity. If so, how can we do this? Well, Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1-8, And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is going to enable us to be effective witnesses anywhere, everywhere, wherever you choose to go, whoever he puts in your path. Let me tell you, being a missionary does not give me special knowledge on how to engage with people that are different than myself, okay? And I wasn't a missionary when I met Christy the Vampire, right? I was a junior in college. So I still have to ask the Holy Spirit, even now, after 20 years of ministry, Holy Spirit, guide me in this conversation. Show me how to relate to this person 
Show me how to bring Jesus into this conversation. And when I do, he almost always shows me. Does it matter if I'm talking to a veiled woman in Yemen or a high school friend from 16 years ago or a neighbor down the street? When I ask the Holy Spirit to guide the conversation, he does. Now, I'm really encouraged by John 3:34, and it says this, For he whom God has sent, which is all of us, God has sent others the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Spirit's in us, and he will give us the words. And John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is the part of the Trinity that will guide our conversations. He will have us say what he wants us to say. And the Spirit will be fully given to us in every conversation. And for me, that is where my confidence comes from when I engage with others so differently than me. I want to be clear that this doesn't promise that this person is going to receive God's words. We don't have confidence in their response, but that we say what God wants us to say. That's what we have the confidence in. People are not always going to agree with us. People might mock our faith. But after the conversation, we do not need to be discouraged because we did what God asked us to do. But even with the reality that some people will not respond positively to what we say, we can't throw away our confidence when it comes to being a sent one. Listen to Hebrews 10. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. I know we all like rewards, right? I mean, if you're that happy about candy, you might want to like some eternal rewards, right? So, for you have need of endurance. Does anyone else have some need for endurance? I have need for endurance. So that when you have done what? The will of God. You may receive what is promised. My righteous one shall live by, say it out loud, faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those, do you agree, that will shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Do you want to be a person that shrinks back in your faith and is destroyed because you're not walking daily, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or do you want to live by faith? I have so many stories over my 20 years of ministry of seeing this exact verse in action. And it was hard for me to choose which one I would share as my last story with my time with you. But I decided on a story of when I was in stint in East Asia, a closed communist country. It's a place where I had to choose to not throw away my confidence when there was a lot of uncertainties. I had to endure and keep on enduring. It was a place where I had to live by faith and not shrink back when times were uncertain. And it was there that I started to truly believe that nothing is impossible when we prayerfully walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. In this country, there are as many college students as there are people in America. So our mission was great and vast. But we were told we can't just go and share like you're doing on the beaches here. We have to get to know somebody. We have to have these slow conversations 
before we could ever get to the gospel to make sure that they weren't a communist party member that would kick us out of the country. So our team got together and we wanted to ask God to increase our vision for this city. We wanted to ask him to show us how can we reach the over 300 million college students in this country where it's illegal to show the gospel. We asked him to make the impossible possible. And during one of our prayer times, this crazy, uncool idea came to our mind to create a boy band and through music share God's love by putting on three concerts in the city. Now, the first two concerts would be held on opposite sides of the city because the city was vast. It was five million people, and um, we wanted to make sure we reached many campuses with this really awesome boy band. The third concert was going to be a follow-up concert that we invited those students to where they could learn more about Jesus specifically. On opening night to this unknown fake boy band that we put together, 2,600 students showed up. They crammed the auditorium. Students with IDs were able to enter in free, but anyone else that wanted to come, curious onlookers, um, teachers, professors, even other party members, they had to pay 50 US dollars if they wanted to hear this fake boy band. So no one else came in but students with IDs. I mean, God, he is smart, right? I mean, who thought of that? Um, the theme of the concert was Journey of Love, hokey, hokey, but it worked. The concert started with songs about falling in love and then progressed into songs about surviving a broken heart and then closed with a song about how our hearts long for an eternal love. Between songs, Joey, who was the lead singer, shared his journey of love. He had been in a serious relationship with a girl and he really thought that she was gonna be his wife but she broke up with him to pursue another guy. And this actually led him into some very deep depression, and he didn't know how to get out of it. But one day he met a friend who shared with him about a love that could last forever, one that heals broken hearts and enables us to even love again. And Joey left his story like that as a cliffhanger for all these students. And he invited them to come on Friday night to the final concert. It was there that they would hear the rest of his story and find out what that love was that changed his life forever. Well, the following night, we played at the other side of the city. It was smaller campuses, but still, we had an amazing turnout of 1,000 students. We couldn't believe it. Hearts were stirred. Tears were shed as students were hearing these songs of a love that could never be lost. It was like their hearts were longing for something, but they didn't know what it was. It felt like a holy moment in a secret sanctuary, in the middle of campus, in a closed country, where the spirit was most definitely moving. The impossible was becoming possible. Now, we weren't sure what the turnout would be for the final concert after having almost 4,000 students attend the previous two. So that evening would go a little differently than the previous two nights, because we were gonna share the gospel like openly on a stage like this. And so we needed God's protection like never before. And just before the concert began, the manager of the auditorium came up to my teammate and he said, if anything happens here tonight that I don't like, I will pull the plug on the electricity and you will be done. And we're like, well, definitely, we're gonna be doing things he's not gonna like tonight, so what do we do? We pray. 
Well, the manager left the room and he never came back. That was another answer to prayer. Perfect, right? After Joey shared his testimony, he shared the gospel message, and the band started to sing songs more clearly about Jesus' love by dying on the cross. What we did was on the screens behind the band, we started to show portions of the Jesus film, of Jesus being beaten and persecuted, and then eventually being hung on the cross. Eyes in the audience could not even look at that. They started weeping and crying as they saw the death of Jesus. And when the song was finished, the lead singer asked this question, do you want to open your heart to Jesus tonight? And then he led them in a prayer of salvation. The room echoed as hundreds of students started to pray that prayer in their own language. Some were in the aisles, kneeling, crying, praying. Others were standing with their arms raised to heaven, and they were shouting the words as loud as they could, unashamed. That night, 519 students put their faith in Jesus. You know, God did not give me the language of East Asian, and so I'm recording this, so I had to say that. But anyway, God did not give me their language, or I would have probably stayed in that country forever. But I did stay in the country a second year because there was so much fruit from this one step of faith, this crazy step of faith, this crazy idea that would have been so uncool to do in America that we tried to do there. But you know, it wasn't just the 519. We started to meet with them in small groups the next week. And they kept bringing more and more people with them because they wanted their friends to hear the gospel too. And within a few more weeks, we had over 700 students that then prayed to invite Jesus into their life. One of the students said, right now, I especially need people's help. Tonight, I found it. I thank all of you. I think that after tonight, I will have a better life. Someone else said, you gave me courage to look for a new life. Someone else said, I experienced what love is tonight. If I have Jesus' love in my life, I can have real happiness in life. And one other person said, I feel that tonight was not just a performance, but a heart-to-heart -heart experience. I really, really want to know Jesus and learn more about him. I love him. Looking back, I am so glad that me and my team did not shrink back from the strategy that God wanted us to walk into. We got to experience the reality with God that nothing is impossible. With God, everything is possible. God's will for you is that we will not shrink back from the life he has for us. We are to trust by faith that he, his will is better than our will. His ways are better than our ways. So let's be reminded one last time what God's will is if we were to put it into just one sentence. God's will for us is to be spirit-filled so that we can continually grow in our sanctification and in our effectiveness as sent ones. I hope that sentence is more powerful to you after these past few nights, that this would be something you would commit to memory and live by, because it will change the trajectory of your life and the lives around you. So my final question for you is, do you want to live in his will?
I pray that you do. My prayer for you as we close our time together is the same prayer Paul prayed over the church in Colossae. So would you bow with me as I pray this verse over you. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen.